From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. We learned early on in this pandemic athletic season to expect the unexpected and to be ready for anything. And this week provided a few more of those curveballs for men's basketball, as both of their games were called off due to COVID protocols. Having said that, this week we'll see the start of literal curveballs on the southwest side of campus, as softball opens their season this week and baseball is soon to follow. On today's show, we'll go deep with softball head coach Tim Walton about how he and his staff have prepared for the odd nuances of this season, how they worked with last year's seniors to determine who wanted their extra year of eligibility, and much more. Then, we'll check in with recent Gator great Igor Kulichov about his enduring memories from UF and where his basketball adventures have taken him since he left campus. But first, Coaches are overwhelmingly creatures of habit, so the challenges that COVID presents and the unpredictable reeking of schedules is a difficult balance for most. Tim Walton is as organized and regimented as they come, and now entering his 16th season, he's had to learn how to adjust and relinquish some of that precious control. You know, one of the things that I've really tried to um, be more of is uh, be more patient come in with a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. But, you know, I, I found that being organized in, uh, in a COVID era with safety protocols and everything else in place, being an organized, detailed person um, can be a disadvantage. You know, you really need to be able to fly by the seat of your pants and uh, be able to have the ability to adjust whenever needed. So um, we're we're doing a good job. I mean, we, you know, we're trying to do the things that I'm. The only benefit to where we are as a program is every other sports team, every other you know human being, maybe in the world, but at least in the United States, we're all going through the same thing together. So um, I think that you just try to learn from you know mistakes that maybe other programs or other teams have made, and um, I've just really tried to be a lot more patient um, with my organizational skills. Mm-hmm. I remember we talked in, uh, I believe we talked in April last year, which was still, everything was pretty fresh at that point. Um, but, you know, looking back at that, you guys were pretty early in your season when the shutdown happened, but I'm sure there's there's still a sense of incompletion that, that came with that abrupt end. Looking at the, the mental side of coaching and, and taking care of your players, how did you handle that challenge with your team? Yeah, I mean, you, you you definitely try to draw on the positives, you know, positives. We had a good pitching staff. Um, we had a good defense, even though we graduated, you know, arguably one of the best players in our program's history, two of them, um, one in Amanda Lorenz and one in Kelly Barnhill. So, you know, I think the I think the big keys to draw from is that, you know, our our players have, have really bonded together. They've worked hard together. And they became a pitching staff as opposed to maybe a pitching staff and Kelly Barnhill, you know. So mm-hmm. um, I, I definitely look at we drew on the positives and we really just tried to, you know, I think one of the biggest messages that, you know, one of my players, you know, was quoted and saying is, you know, you just don't take the game for granted. The game was almost taken 
away from every one of our seniors last year um, out of their complete control. Don't take anything for granted. If you're going to play softball, play softball as, as hard um, as you possibly can every single day, whether it's practice, whether it's games. Um, you know, Jordan Roberts came out last year. I think it was on that Thursday after we played Florida State. She took a little bit extra BP on the field and boom, boom, boom. The next thing you know, that was the last batting practice Jordan Roberts will ever take on this field. And, and she knew it. Like she, she said, just in case, I'm going to do this. And, you know, I think that's one of those – um, you know, unregrettable moments. She was able to get her last swings and in, in, in her control. So, um, you know, just don't take anything for granted, um, you know, and, and, and appreciate not only the game, but appreciate your teammates around you. And, um, you know, hopefully you can, you can draw some, some positives that are going to impact your life positively, you know, moving forward. You know, everybody had their own process for, for getting through that time and just how, you know, how different it was. Um, that's a lot of time you had, off that you're not used to it. You're not used to being hanging out in April and May and, and not being in the middle of season and ramping up toward Oklahoma City. Um, personally, what what did you use that time for? I know you're, you're with your family, but what impact did it have on you and your family going through that? And uh, again, trying to just like everybody else to, to get through it. Yeah, it, it was, you know, exactly that, you know, having three kids and really it was the, the, the longest period of time we've ever been together without, um, you know, a softball game or a baseball game, a basketball game, something holding us, um, you know, to an appointment. So we, we pretty much just, uh, we, we cooked dinner together every night. We um, typically didn't eat breakfast or lunch together because the kids were getting up a little bit later and staying up a little bit later. So we'd have dinner together every night. And, um, you know, we spent a lot of time just, uh, just being around each other. We're, we're a close family. We, you know, all of our kids almost always eat dinner together, even still now to this day. So um, I was really just about, there wasn't really any like, oh, wow, you, what were your reflections like? What were your personal reflections? You know, obviously, if you didn't have a Peloton bike before COVID and the shutdown, you weren't getting one for, for market <laughs> value. You were get, or you weren't getting one for, for what the value was. You were getting right. for market value, which was twice the price. So um, lots of white walks, bike rides, uh, boat rides. I bought a boat last January and put about a hundred and some hours on it. So wow, a lot of boat rides, a lot of time together. And, um, everyone, of, everybody in my family can all wakeboard. So we did some wakeboarding, some skiing, some tubing, some, uh, just time together, you know, um, you know, definitely outside and just spending time, but there wasn't any reflections. I mean, I think that's the one thing about me that I've really, really figured out is I'm a very, very, very competitive person. And, and, and with a process, if there's nothing, like there's no target date, like there's no Super Bowl Sunday, there's no championship mm-hmm. Wednesday, there's no this, that, or the other, you know, you just got to you know, try to live the healthiest life you can, be positive with your family and enjoy your family. And um, I think that was the biggest key. Read a couple books and um, watched some movies some series, just like everybody else, where we had a little group share of, you know, what movies and series and, you know, what I think I picked up Disney Plus and. Netflix and uh, Apple TV. I think we have them all now. So it was just, uh, it was really just about more, more, more or less just family time and, you know, and enjoying, uh, I had had my knee fixed. I had a surgery on my knee and some other things that I wouldn't had time for, you know, had, had the shutdown not have been, you know, part of it. Hmm. What was the, was there a Walton family consensus as far as uh, 
as far as show. I, that's the hardest part, right? You've got like five people. You can probably agree on what to have for dinner much more easily than, than what show you're going to start that, that night. Is there, what, what were the Walton picks for that? I mean, watching the ESPN uh, documentary on Michael Jordan, mm-hmm. um, that was by far the things we look forward to the most. That was intense. It was awesome. You know, my daughter loved it. My, my son loved it. My wife, I think that was probably our, our easiest, like, wow, this is, this is really, really, really special. Um, but my wife and I, you know, we, we watched the crown and, uh, my son, uh, Brooks and I watched, uh, Cobra Kai. And, um, I think with me, Palmer and Brooks, my, my youngest son and my oldest son, we watched, uh, the Mandalorian and I watched the whole series of that. So, um, I think there was just, it was a lot, you know, I think just a lot of, uh, and every night, like it was, you know, every night for an hour, hour plus we watched something catch up and then boom, do it again the next night. So there wasn't mm-hmm. like a, a crazy binge watch. Um, it was really us just kind of finding time every night or every, you know, every day to get together and do something that we all enjoyed to do. Is the sequence battle still going on with, with you and your wife or has a, a winner been decided? Well, uh, she, she's the winner. There's no question. Uh, <laughs> she's the winner. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it was, there were some pretty good battles there for sure. Um, you know, we, we do a good job and picked up some card games and some mm-hmm. other stuff, but, um, it's funny. She'll go on a four Oh run and I'll come back strong with a five run, you know, five <laughs> run. So it's, it's definitely like the NBA. We, yeah. we both have our runs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, one of the, the quirks of this year, um, and I, I don't remember if this had been resolved when we talked shortly after everything happened, but the idea that seniors could have that extra year of eligibility to come back, the NCAA making that decision, um, some of your players took that option. Some of them didn't. Um, I'm curious, just generally, how did you approach those conversations with each of them? And, and what were the factors that really went into those decisions? Yeah, so each, each of them, um, so there were six of them. You know, once, the, uh, once the NCAA, you know, I had a pulse on where they were at before the NCAA vote from the Division One Council and then after the vote. So um, Sophia right away already had, you know, her, she'd already been accepted into um, grad school for her major out in California, her home state. So she was pretty much going to be, be moving on. And I even reached out to the coach at that school to say, Hey, you got a kid um, who has an extra year, obviously because of COVID. So if there's a, you know, you need uh, a shortstop, a leader, whatever, you know, and a trainer, you know, then you've got, uh, you've got Sophia Reynoso. So she was, she was a pretty easy, quick decision. Um, you know, that would have been her sixth year of play. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan Roberts also, she reflected pretty well and she made a pretty quick decision as well because again, she, she didn't really have, she graduated from Florida in four years. I mean, she just accomplished some great things as a, you know, as a, as a young person and in the Roberts family in general, she, she, she went on her social media site and she's the first college graduate in her immediate family. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. So graduate school is not something that really was in her list of goals because she really, you know, set the goal of, of getting her degree from Florida. So she was a pretty easy decision. She went on with that Athletes Unlimited, had a wonderful summer, some of the cool highlights of her hitting big time home runs and mm-hmm. catching Cat Osterman and stuff. But um, and then Jade Caraway um, was was probably my longest decision. She she took a little longer to make a decision. And then ultimately um, she came back and then had some setbacks and some other things. And you know, long story short, she she made a decision uh, in November that she had come back, but decided that you know her comeback was no longer what she really wanted to do. And so she left the team in about probably you know it's like probably the first couple of weeks in November. She's since doing great in grad school. Um, she's gonna you know she's gonna get her degree, 
and she now has a full-time job down in Tampa. So, um, you know, those three were, were, were my conversations. The other three, Kendall Lindemann, Katie Cronister, and Jamie Hoover were all, uh, I'm coming back. And that was really it. And their, their decision was pretty quickly made and, um, you know, and, and we're here and, and they're, they're showing, I mean, at sometimes in the, in the fall, I mean, they've, they, they've really looked like, you know, women amongst girls. I mean, they're just out there hitting Jamie Hoover had a really nice fall and Kendall Lindemann is, you know, arguably one of the best right-handed hitters that I've ever coached. And, um, you know, Katie Cronister is just getting better. I mean, that's the, the, the great thing about her is last year was her best year and she's now as good, if not better again. So really looking forward to, uh, you know, coaching those three women again for one more run. Your facilities have uh, have improved vastly over the last two years. Everybody can see that. Uh, and now you have a pitching lab, thanks to Ron and Janie Young. How did this new wrinkle come about, and what do you see it doing for the program? Yeah, so, you know, ideally, when we were going through the, the, the renovation, at least the, uh, the architectural design and the, and the renovation, that was something that I pitched to our people as pitching lab. We don't want to just call it a pitching, you know, a bullpen or this, that is. We, we pitched the pitching lab. There was a couple places in the country that had a pitching lab, a couple baseball programs that already had that. So we, we pitched the idea of the name. Um, I know that, you know, that was something we, we got, I think across the street um, at the Florida ballpark, I think they also uh, made a pitching lab and theirs is indoor. Um, ours is just covered. So it's, it's big. It's four pitching lanes. Um, we could bunt in there. We can do things. It's, you know, it's artificial turf, it's lights, it's music. Um, it basically just gives the pitchers their own place to work um, and, and, and get better because they're in there so much. They spend more time in there than they do in their own locker room. And, um, and with that being said, it, it, it gives them a, a, a place where the, with the roof, it keeps the elements off them. Um, with the lighting, it allows them to come in at night and with the uh, music, it allows them to kind of get, kind of find their happy place when maybe their pitches aren't going the way they want them to go. They can maybe find the right, right or the left part of their brain to just come to, an, you know, to, a, to a place. I, I've really, I've really tried to build this facility and design this facility on functionality of our student athletes to come in and work out here when they want. So We've had players that come in here on off days. We've had players that came in here over the winter break. We have players that come in here at night. We have players that come in here in the morning. And it just gives them a place where they can come in and, and, and do their own work like you would in a, you know, in a professional facility where, you know, players can come in and do this, that. The only thing we don't have is a, you know, is a weight room. Um, but, but, you know, Ron Young and, and Ron and Janie, had, you know, Ron approached me about, you know, is there anything you need? I said, Ron, you know, to be honest with you, we got everything we need. This is, we're, we're going good. And, you know, the, the project was on track and our program's really good. We're, we're, we're very fun, very well funded from the UAA's perspective and things are good. And then he asked me again, I don't even know if it was a couple of weeks later. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I just went to our budget <laughs> meeting on our, on our uh, project. And, you know, just like every project, you have a number and steel's a little bit more money. Concrete's a little bit more money. The music that we have, we have, I've, we have more speakers in this facility um, you know, last, when we had the old facility, I think we had like four speakers. We have four speakers that sit right on the inside of the pitching lab. So I know we have a lot of great music and great sound acoustics here. And I said, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have to probably build a pitching bullpen without the, without the cover. And I, and I said, that's just, it's unacceptable. <laughs> I mean, I don't know any other way to say it. I, there's no way I can put our pitchers out there again without a cover, you know, and again, games were fine. It's the practicing when you're out there and, in August and May, when you're really working long and hard on trying to master stuff, it's really tough. And so, um, you know, Ron 
called me and said, Hey, I, I got someone to donate 5,000, 10,000. The next thing you know, he's the, the dude's got $135,000 a week. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm like, man, this is unbelievable. So, you know, Ron, Ron was a big part of, of, of seeing that through. And he worked through our Gator booster group, which was awesome because it, it really allowed us to inflate that, um, you know, that budget a little bit and, and still stay on track with what we were at. And, um, you know, I attribute that to in our booster group that got all the, all the facility stuff named. And then, you know, Scott Strick and Laird Veach was, was in charge of the project at the time. And, and he was, they were awesome to work with because, you know, Scott had his ideas and, and, and he had some, he's had some really, really good ideas to love them. And then Laird's like, coach, what do you want? What do you need? And I'm like, seriously, you're asking, all right, cool. Uh, here's what I want. And, <laughs> be, be careful what you ask for. <laughs> well, you know, it's, that's one of those things that I think that this facility was a great collaboration. You know, I don't think that any one person made this project um, their own. It was everybody's um, hard work and vision. And um, it's been really, really good. I mean, I, I, again, I'm looking out right now, Adam, and I can see the Florida ballpark. I can see Ben Hill Griffin, the top of it. And I can see my pitching mound and, and home plate from my office. It's a, it's a great view. I don't know that there are many on this campus that have the view of what I have every day. And it's, uh, you know, just, I thank God every day that Jeremy Foley hired me and uh, that I have an opportunity to see this kind of, you know, come to fruition and build in a facility that's, that's impacted not only our fans, but our boosters, our season ticket holder. We have season tickets now as opposed to free gate and um, our student athletes and our, our, our former student athletes have been a big part of everything we've built here at Florida. And then we've done it the right way. And I'm really proud of it. You've had former players serve on your coaching staff before, um, but having Amanda Lorenz in this new role, what has that meant to the team, and, and what impact do you see her having on this group? Yeah, we've we've had a we've had a volunteer every year that I think I've been here, and um, every one of them have been you know different. Um, having Amanda now, we're going on you know our tenth year of of knowing each other, and um, having her here. She knows when I want a bucket of balls, when I want a bat, where I want a bucket of balls. If I'm doing something else, she'll pick up the bat or balls and, you know, fill in for me because I'm talking to an athlete or working with another athlete in another area on the field. And her ability to, to have conversations with the, a lot of our players and especially, you know, our players that are dealing with some expectation issues of trying to be great. And, you know, when they fail one or two times, they get down on themselves and she's been able to really impact them in a positive way. And, you know, just tell them about the game and teach them about life and teach them about the game of life. And, you know, some of those things that have been really, really good and, and, and having a strong female like her in our program is, is, is much needed. Uh, she's relatable. She's got great work ethic. Um, she's been a, a star in this program and on the national stage, she's super clutch. Um, she's has the ability to talk to all of our coaches. She has the ability to talk to our manager. She has the ability to talk to our players and, um, you know, again, if, if, if coaching is what she wants to do, which I discouraged her from doing at the <laughs> end of her career, cause she's got star power. She can do a lot of things. If coaching is what she wants to do moving forward, um, you know, after, you know, next year, or this year, next year, I mean, she's going to be a really good one. Um, I think the hardest part for her still, just like every young coach is when you're trying to have conversations with players that you played with on the same team, it's, it's hard. That, that is very difficult when you're that close in age. Um, and then when you're so good, sometimes it's hard to say, Hey, can you not do this? You know, do it like this. And, <laughs> right. you know, things that Amanda could do that nobody can do, even if you taught them how to do it, they still couldn't do it. So, um, I think those are just all the, the typical, 
um, growing pains of being a young coach trying to find your own uh, find your own identity and find your own kind of your own way. A few final things for you in terms of the the scheduling part of this. The, you know, the SEC obviously does what they're going to do, um, but the non conference slate that's what what you control, and it looks a lot different this year because of COVID. Um, what was that process like of trying to build this schedule, recognizing the challenges you had to overcome? Yeah, I didn't think that the schedule itself wasn't, isn't, wasn't that much different than what it's been a year ago. So a year ago, we put the schedule together and um, the conference slate's the same with some opportunity to do some things a little bit different if needed. Uh, TV started to work in. They figured out our Saturday, Sunday, Monday stuff. Um, you know, most of the things that have kind of dissolved have been the tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the major tournaments, you know, we go to USF every year, go to California every year. Um, we're on the road. At, we were on the road at UCF. We were at a tournament there that, you know, they've, they've all canceled because of safety protocols and other things. So just, just to fill in, you know, I think that one of the things that I love about softball is it's a share sport. And so, you know, we can easily send an email, a text message, and you get other people's thoughts and ideas about playing. And um, I think the people in the country of softball want to play softball. And so, I've got a two-game series with Florida State, just like always, but we're going to play it on a Friday, Saturday. Mm-hmm. USF, instead of being in their tournament, we're playing a three-game series. So we'll play them four times this year. UCF, we're going to do a home and away um, because we're going to play them at their tournament, and then they were going to be here. So uh, Jacksonville, same thing, home and away. We've just filled in some stuff that, um, you know, that, again, everybody wants to play. And so, um, you know, I think when you start looking at, you know, putting a football schedule together, putting um, – a basketball schedule together um, is really difficult. But I think if we can learn anything from, you know, the, the BYU Coastal Carolina game, mm-hmm. um, if we can do anything and learn anything from, you know, what happened with uh, you know, some of the season stuff, I think we've really done a good job of being able to be flexible and, um, and really adjust to things that are necessary um, for us to do. And, um, you know, so putting together my schedule together hasn't been much different. Um, I think the, the biggest challenge is really just being able to figure out um, you know, what happens if you don't play, what happens if you um, don't get as many games as you can. So we're scheduled right now for 48 games of our 56. Um, I have two exhibition games. One's going to be against Team USA. One's going to be against Team Canada as they prepare for the Olympics. Um, and then that's kind of where we're at. That's our slate. Um, you know, so it's a few less, but it's not, it's not terribly less. This team in particular, every team has an identity. Uh, sometimes that's forged through the season and maybe it, it differs from the outset. But as you look right now at your team getting ready to take the field, what do you imagine the identity of this team is going to be? Well, I, you know, again, I think we're only as good as our pitching and our defense. That's just that's the nature of this game. Um, I think this team has a potential to be a really offensive team. Um, I've got some really good hitters in the lineup that I'm really excited about. Hannah Adams is, uh, she's got a chance to be really, really, really special this year. Um, she was really, she came on last year. Was She's turned the page and she's really upped her game. She's a great defensive player and now her offensive game is matching. So it's a really nice um, growth and development in her. Kendall Linneman, you know, again, I think she's, if she's not the, the best right-handed hitter in the country. Um, you know, she's one of them. She's a special, special, special player. Um, Charlotte Eccles, um, Julia Cottrell, you know, is, is in her second year with us. And she's really, really matured. She's grown. She's hitting for power. She can hit the ball at all fields. She's a great catcher. She's got a chance to be special. Bailey Goddard, Jamie Hoover, 
Um, you know, and the list goes on and on and on, but I think those, those six, those top six, um, have a chance to, to do some special things. Any one of them can hit it out of the ballpark at any given time. Um, and then after that, it's probably going to be a lot more, um, by committee. Um, Cheyenne Lindsay's kind of solidified herself a little bit to start the season in center. Callie Reese is a freshman shortstop. Um, and then you, you know, then you figure out what to do with the lineup, the DP. Um, you know, is it, is it, is it, does it have a chance to be Jordan Matthews, Sarah Longley, um, Brent Thomas, um, or do you go with the younger players that can do some other things? You got uh, Avery Gels, who's a freshman, uh, plays first in some outfield, lefty, lefty, Katie Kistler's a kid going to come off the bench for us. So I, I look at all those players and, you know, and the options, um, you know, that, that I have. Um, there's a lot of options. There's a lot of things that we can do. Um, Emily Wilkie is a, uh, she's been a little banged up, but um, she can catch, play third, can play some outfield DH for us as well. And um, there's some special things that we can do, but I think this identity would be probably a lot more offensive. You know, I think if our, our pitcher and staff can keep it somewhere between two and three runs a game, I think we're going to win a ton of games just like last year. Um, I don't think we're going to throw a ton of shutouts. But I do think that uh, our pitchers have the ability up and down the pitching staff to, to get out. And I may, like I did last year, I said at the beginning, I may throw every pitcher every game. You know, Katie Cronister may be an opener. Natalie Lugo may be a closer. Um, Natalie may be a starter and Katie may close. I mean, there's, some, there's so many options. Um, you know, I think it's going to just depend a lot upon, you know, the matchups that we have and, and what that looks like. Final question for you. You are the, the first coach that we've had a chance to talk to since Becky Burley announced her retirement. What has Becky meant to you during your time at Florida? And do you have a favorite Becky story uh, that can help people understand just how unique she is as a person? Yeah, well, Be Becky Burley is, is kind of the, not kind of, she's the glue um, that has held our coaching collaborations together. Um, and when I say coaching collaborations, Becky Burley is an outside the box thinker. Um, we were a Nike school and Becky Burley was, was, was sporting Adidas because soccer <laughs> was Adidas for so long. I got a lot of that stuff in, in my closet still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so she, she's always, you know, and Adidas obviously on the national stage for so many years had, had been the, the, the most important apparel and shoe brand or the, the old Copas or whatever they call them. So I think for her, um, that tells you a little bit already that she had the ability to get to talk Jeremy Foley into letting her be Adidas while everybody else is pretty much Nike. Um, heck, they might have been Reebok when she got here. You know, she's been <laughs> here for so long. But um, I think that, uh, you know, some things about Becky, she's held our, our, our coaching collaboration together. She's she's responsible for bringing Brett Ledbetter in. She's responsible for bringing in a lot of consultants, whether they be – and I say responsible. She's had some ideas a lot and different than Tim Walton's ideas – um, because she's, she's just, uh, she just thinks differently, you know, uh, about what's going to make someone successful and how someone can be successful. And I really attribute you know, her ability to bring in Brett Ledbetter with the what drives winning group and, um, to try to have all of our coaches share. We've been sharing a lot more. We've been having conversations. We share experiences, we share good and bad experiences. And, um, it's really helped. It's really helped you gain positive, uh, positive ways in regards to you know, handling some pressures. Um, it's been ways to handle rosters, management, uh, ha handling, you know, star power and all the other things that go into that. So she's been responsible for that. Um, one of the funniest things that I can remember on my job interview, I came here in, in, in 2005 
uh, July of 2005. I was on my interview and I see, you know, Becky Burley's got this um, scooter uh, parking spot. And so this spot's reserved for Becky Burley. And, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well, everybody has a parking spot, but yeah, Becky Burley's got one, got two. She had a parking spot for her car and a parking spot for her scooter. Um, so I think Becky has always been, um, you know, her own. She does what she does and does what she does, how she does it. Um, she loves being a Gator. I don't think she ever felt like she came to work one day in her life at Florida. I think she just was a part of Florida and she meshed herself in here very, very well. Um, she would sometimes bring her dog to work and, uh, not, not because it was bring your dog to work day because she just brought her dog to work. And, um, you know, she always put a smile on everybody's face. I've never met anybody that says, I don't like that Becky Burley. Everybody loves Becky Burley. She's, she's karaoke, Becky Burley. She's, uh, she's been such a, a cool influence on all of us coaches. And, you know, I don't think she's ever had an uptight day in her life. And, um, you know, I appreciate our friendship. We have a really good friendship. We've shared a lot of things. Um, and now she has my old office. So she's in my old office. My old office was a white walled office with some, you know, some trophies and some things on the wall and some, some accolades, you know, and Becky Burley's painted it orange. It's completely orange all the way around. And she has pictures and faces of current and former players and, uh, and, and a ton of trinkets and gadgets and little things that she keeps in her office to kind of make her smile, I'm sure. But uh, she's definitely going to be missed here at Florida. And, um, you know, I, one part of me is, you know, disappointed and, and mad that she's leaving. And the other part of me is happy and excited that she's going to uh, open up a new chapter in her life. And I know whatever she decides to do, she's going to be very, very, very successful at it. And, and she's going to do it with a smile because she is definitely a positive influence on everything she touches. Hmm. Could not have said it better. Um, Coach, thank you so much for the insight on that and obviously for setting the stage for the season. Best of luck to you guys. Hope everybody stays healthy and uh, and it goes according to plan. Sounds great, Adam. Appreciate your time. It's good to, good to hear from you and it's definitely going to be exciting to hopefully see your face one day back here in Gainesville. So appreciate you, man. Go Gators. The rise of the grad transfer in college basketball especially has allowed impact players to immediately fly on the scene and make a major impression on a program in a short period of time. And while it's generally only for a year, they can still endear themselves to fans and hold a critical place in their memories. Such is true of Igor Kulichov, the sharpshooting Russian Israeli who last lit up the Nets in Gainesville in 2018. We spoke to the man the Rowdies dubbed Three Gore about his time at UF and where he's been since, beginning with how he became a Gator. Um, yeah, so I started my college career at Arizona State, played there for one year, transferred to Rice, and I redshirted uh, my first year and then played two years. Uh, and then I kind of had the option of, you know, either going to play pro or grad transfer all that good stuff. And uh, I just kind of decided eventually to do a grad year. And, um, you know, Florida seemed like a good place to do that. Uh, you know, it's a good program. So an elite program, really. Um, seemed like a good, good as any place to go. What was it about Florida when you, you sat down, you talked to the coaches, you started really exploring it? What was it that, that sealed that decision for you? Um, you know, for me, it was uh, – really the relationships you kind of build with coaches and you kind of get a feel for people uh, as you go on like different visits. And I, in my career, I've been on, you know, went on enough visits and met enough people and coaches to kind of get a better feel than I maybe did in high school. 
And, you know, definitely, you know, talking to Coach White, Coach May, you know, Coach Mincy, uh, Coach Nichols, you know, everybody uh, that was there at the time. You know, Coach May's at FAU now, and he's one of my closest relationships. He was the guy, I guess, you know, the main guy recruiting me mm -hmm. probably uh, during that time. You know, I just got a good feel for these people, authentic people, um, kept their word always. You know, they didn't make any promises, but, like, they told me what it was going to be like. Um, and honestly, there was zero lies looking back, uh, from beginning to end. How did they help you grow on and off the court during your time at, at Florida? Oh, uh, you know, every staff is different. So, you know, first, when you get there, you kind of just adjust to new terminology, kind of new system. Uh, and it takes a while. And first and foremost, you know, they helped me out tremendously just with that adjustment period, which can be harder or it could be easier they just made it easier for me and then you know when you know when when it was needed uh you know from all conversation you know i have some after wins some after losses um and you know what i remember most is you know sometimes you know they'll they'll tell it's you straight to your face basically you know the the hard truth like stuff you don't want to hear uh and i respected that probably more than any compliment any, any good thing they ever said to me you know i remember i had a conversation with coach may uh, back, I think it was after an Arkansas and LSU game, and you know, he just gave me some hard truths that you know, it was hard to hear. You know, I was pissed, but looking back, it was like you know that I needed that, uh, and I think we kind of took off from there. You know, we started playing better. You know, helped me, helped the team. Uh, I'm not saying I was you know solely responsible for, but you know, they they were good about that on the level of communication with players. Uh, I think that's uh, one of the definitely the strengths of the coaching staff. In terms of your time, obviously, it wasn't a very long period, just that one grad transfer year. Um, but what games, what moments stand out to you the most when you think back on that that time? Yeah, obviously my first game, I was just so excited. I remember at the time just to play for a big school. And, you know, obviously that game went well for me, like individually. But just overall, that experience of uh, getting out there at the Odom uh, for the first time. Um, March Madness, um, definitely um, different feel. Uh, I think the PK-80 tournament uh, was pretty incredible, especially that Gonzaga game. Mm -hmm. uh, they won in double overtime. You know, guys were great. It was probably one of my worst games of the season, but it was still <laughs> one of the greatest experiences in that season, so it's kind of ironic. Um, yeah, those are kind of the three standout moments, I think. Uh, you hit on a, a few things there I, I want to dig into. First, playing in front of the Rowdies, playing in the O-Dome. Uh, I mean, what were your expectations for what that would be? And what was it like once you actually got out there, especially in some of the rivalry games and seeing the way that the Rowdies took it to another level? Yeah, you know, they prepare for games as much as we do. You know, they do their scam report on the other team's players. They try to get in their head. And, and it's nice to see, you know, fans and students who are so dedicated uh, to a school program, you know, it's uh, not something that I think we should take for granted as athletes. Uh, I think it's kind of cool. It's like it's part of that college experience. I really enjoyed it personally. I never had anything. I mean, Arizona State, we kind of had a, a semi-decent student section, uh, but it wasn't nothing like uh, the Rowdies. People come to a place like Florida because they want to play in March Madness. They want to be in those big moments. What do you remember about the March Madness experience? And, and did it live up to the expectations that you had of, of what it would be? Yeah. Yeah, I've been uh, – my freshman year we made the tournament. Uh, it was different because I wasn't really playing. So 
mm-hmm. towards the end of the year. So it wasn't the same experience. But what I realized, like once the, the second go around, once we got to March Madness, I realized like every game felt like a Super Bowl. You know, the coverage, the interviews, the everything leading up to the game, uh, the emotions, and I think that like your sense of urgency is just on a whole different level of thing than any other game and it's it's not like it's not something you can just turn on during the season because I, I just feel like naturally guys uh just kind of get on the same page because you know you you don't have a choice uh you know unfortunately it ended for us uh, against texas tech but you know, it, was, it was still a good experience um really enjoyed that part what memories do you have anything that stands out in terms of you know off the court stuff in the locker room where the the bonding takes place anything that, that jumps out to uh you know just you know we had great great guys on the team uh i said about my transition you know these guys made it a lot easier for me uh and just living with guys you know live with living with uh chris and Jalen and you know big johnny buno uh in our apartment was always fun and all these road trips you know that's all this stuff, you know, you kind of take for granted and then it's kind of gone. And, you know, you think back and uh, you realize how, how good you had it. Since you've left, how much have you been able to follow the program? And what's it like now as, a, as an alumni looking back on what the, the program's doing today? Uh, I've, been, I've been following it, you know, pretty steadily. You know, every season I stay in touch with, uh, that's why I was talking about relationships. Like I'm still in touch with, uh, Coach White, all the coaches, really, most of them are still there, uh, other than except Coach May. So, you know, I keep, I keep up. I kind of know what's going on. I'm in the loop. Uh, this past summer, I spent like three months on campus just kind of working out, waiting till, till I got signed. Um, so, you know, they have open arms. They, they let me come back. You know, it's, you know that's, that's what family's all about. Um, you really feel that um, at Florida. Looking back on your entire experience, not just as, a, as an athlete, but the student side of it as well, what is having that year at UF done for you and, and affected you as you've moved on to the next stage of your life? I just think, you know, it gave me, first of all, a wholesome college experience, uh, first of all. But other than that, you know, it's just the, the relationships I built with so many people. Uh, during that year, whether it's players, coaches, you know, people who are meeting for the media, that do social, like, it's it just created so many relationships that, you know, I will take from here until, who knows, like, hopefully forever. Um, and always, you know, looking back, and I always knew it was the right decision. Always, you know, I had no, no regrets after I made the decision, and especially at, at the end of the year, you know, looking back, you know, I knew I made the right call as well, so. Uh, definitely, definitely blessed uh, to have that year. You were already very well traveled before you got to Florida. I mean, you've been all over the world following your story. Since you left Gainesville, what stops have you made and what's it been like professionally overseas? Uh, so I played two years in Israel, uh, first two years. And then this year, midseason, I went here to Russia uh, once I got my citizenship straightened out. Uh, so it, it has been up and down, you know, it's, it's, it hasn't been easy, um, but, you know, it's part of it. You just kind of figure it out as you go. You keep working and, you know, good things come. I'm not sure if it's different because you started by playing overseas, then came here. But in what ways have you had to adjust your game and the way that you play when you got to the professional ranks as opposed to playing in college? 
I mean, you know, just understanding that when you're in the pros, like, you know, everybody's been that guy in college. Everybody's kind of at that level there. You don't get like, you know, especially when you get to the better teams, like you don't have scrubs on your team. Like on my team right now here, like we have guys that played in the NBA seven years, a couple years. Mm-hmm. Like you got some real pros out there. So, you know, you always got to uh, keep working on your game and always got to bring your bring your best basically every day. You know, one of the things that's been interesting about doing these interviews is that there's guys literally all over the world we're doing these with. And you mentioned that you're in Russia. Uh, what has the last year been like for you overseas? What has dealing with the pandemic been like where you've been as opposed to where, where we are here in the States? Uh, yeah, that, that's been tough uh, because, you know, obviously once the pandemic hit uh, back in March, I was in Israel and we were going through season. Then they kind of stopped season. And I remember they kept going back and forth between resuming the season or completely canceling it. And basically two, two and a half months in, like I was still there, but we didn't know if we're playing or not until they decided that they were going to renew the season. So all of a sudden their season went from going till about the end of May to then went into mid-July, mid to late July. Um, so that, that, that was kind of tough, uh, whether it was the right or wrong decision. Um, it just, I, I didn't feel like it was a, very calculated decision. It was uh, more about money, but that's how it is everywhere. Um, and then kind of when season ended, you know, felt like I needed a mental break because uh, they wanted to start season. You know, a lot of places start seasons, like mostly like you get there mid to late August and, you know, you get, usually you get like a two, three month break. Um, but here, you know, all of a sudden they want to give you a couple weeks and then go right back at it. I didn't feel like it was uh, the right thing for me. Uh, so, you know, I've, Came back to the States, was at UF for about three months. Uh, and I left like late November and mm-hmm. got signed here. So I've been here for two months now. It's cold, <laughs> <laughs> about negative 20 degrees. Oh my gosh. What do you do when it's negative 20 degrees? Do you even open a door or are you, I mean, that I would, I would self quarantine just for that reason yeah, alone. I'm, I'm lucky enough where I live, you know, an apartment like on the 15th floor. So I get like heated floors and stuff. Like okay. I get the, some perks with that, but you know, it's just, it's hard when you go outside, you got to put like three layers of clothes, you know, some days you get out and the cold just hits you straight in the face. And I haven't been used to this kind of cold and I lived in Florida, Texas, Arizona, like mm-hmm. uh, I forgot <laughs> what it's like. Uh, but yeah, it's, you deal with it. It's a couple months. The, the other thing that really just messes you up is like the sun goes, sets here at like 4 p.m. So like there's mm. only like seven hours, seven, eight hours of sun. Uh, wow. It's not fun. Uh, what else has gotten you through the last year? I'm curious, you know, in terms of just staying sane during the pandemic, how have you, uh, how have you, you kept your, your center? Define sane, first of all. I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> it's all relative at this point. Yeah, you just try to try. I try to at least like read more. You try to find a hobby or like do something. You know, you still want to keep in shape, like keep working out. Um, no, I had COVID actually like just a couple of weeks ago. Like I was in oh, wow. quarantine for about two weeks. Hmm. Um, I only got back to the team like about a couple of days ago. I just started working out again, so I missed a good chunk of like uh, uh, this month that we have a lot of games in, but. Uh, it's been it's been fine. It wasn't too bad. Uh, I think you just you gotta find ways to kind of keep yourself occupied as much as you can. That's what I kind of learned. 
You know, we always like to say the Gator Nation is everywhere. And in terms of basketball, it's really true right now, especially with guys playing professionally uh, here in the States and the NBA and guys like you overseas. How much have you been able to, to touch base with some of the other Gators that are also pursuing their dreams at the next level? Oh, uh, you know, we, we all kind of, you know, we stay in touch. It's not obviously not as close as we used to be. Um, you know, everybody kind of got their own thing going. Everybody got their own type of grind. But, you know, I saw Jalen actually in Israel. Um, he was signed there for a couple of weeks before he left. So I saw him there for a couple of days. He stayed with me. Uh, we, we text every now and then. You know, Chris, we, we text every now and then as well. He's doing uh, his thing in Brooklyn. Uh, Johnny Boone, you know, the guys I live with. Kavarius, uh, mm -hmm. he's doing great things right now in France, uh, playing really well. So, you know, you always kind of keep – keep pace with those guys uh, it's just not on the same level as it used to be which is fine like that's just that's just life and that's going to do it for this week's show if you haven't already done so be sure to subscribe to gator tales in the podcast app of your choice and please leave a review to help us continue to grow Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.